I found in the last, I suppose, four months that Bard's quality has improved. And for me, ChatGPT's quality has deteriorated. Generative AI, is, it's just one of an endless number of applications of this technology, but it's the most visible. And, and that really does make a difference to the public perception of it. When video, which powers AI, when you look at that processing power and the ability to take the collective intelligence of every profession and every learning and everything in the world and squash it through everything we've learned into a, a, a effectively a decision tree because that's all we're getting on the front end of AI. Hi there and welcome to Stockbook, podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike and Jeremy. Today's show is My Wall Street's chief investor, Emmett Savage. Today's podcast brought to you by Vodafone Business. I know if you're like us here in my Wall Street, you know that running a business is hard. There are countless things to think about and many often simply get ignored or completely forgotten about. Well, that's where Vodafone Business can help. They've crafted a suite of tools and supports to boost your business operations. And the best part is it's free for everyone. From cybersecurity to harnessing the power of AI, building a website and improving how your teams work remotely, Vodafone Business will help you to address the often overlooked but crucial elements for your business's success. To get started today, check out their one-to-one vHub digital support and advice service. You'll find everything you need right there. Find the links in our show notes or simply Google Vodafone vHub for more details. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Michael Mahoney, who's in Galway, whereas I am in Dublin, Ireland. Mike, have you all your Christmas shopping done? I do. I was very organized this year, actually. I'm also loving uh, loving your intro <laughs> for the people who listen on, on the on Spotify or wherever else. Emma gave himself his own countdown, which is uh, very cute to see. Oh yeah, did, did is that is this being brought? It's going live. You're right. I gave <laughs> no. myself a three, two, one. That's right. I think I think and it was I on YouTube. At myself. If it's on YouTube, we'll cut out that bit, I think. <laughs> um, I've seen too many movies and too yeah. many of those clapboards where I'm like, okay, I have to count myself in. Because usually <laughs> you open uh, the podcast, so I, I couldn't no, remember what good. to do. I just I, talk I, when I'm spoken to. I think I should be more organized. I think that's what I need to do from now on. But um, to your question, I have. I've done all the Christmas shopping. There's no what mad percentage was done on online? Christmas Eve. What was percentage? Ooh a fairly high amount i would say 75 percent. i did it all around um i did it all around black monday or black friday but black friday cyber monday that weekend yeah yeah i am probably i think i've even i'd say i'm near 90 percent was done online um it's just you know all our habits were changed over the last few years and it's just so handy but anyway it's too easy yeah it's too easy. It's just too easy. Anyway, look, Mike, I thought it'd be interesting for us to pick our two biggest stories of 2023 and have a chat. So I'm going to start with you. From all the stories that 2023 presented us with, what is one that really caught your attention and why? Yeah, it's hard to really call AI a story in itself, but it's probably the most pervasive theme i think running throughout the whole year in, in investing circles but also just in the general zeitgeist as well chat gpt mm-hmm. kind of being this introduction to the masses of i suppose the potential of this technology is that a fair way to say it because it's not like ai was invented in 2023 but but seeing gener- generative ai really kind of hit the public and and people realize all right well this is this is really really a thing um so 
Yeah, of course, generative AI is it's just one of an endless number of applications of this technology, but it's the most visible and and that really does make a difference to the public perception of it. So so for that reason I think AI has to be number one. Of course, like, you know, we went through um over earnings season how many times a company mentions the word AI or the words the letters AI, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, and the counts are getting up to hundreds in, in I think it was Google's uh, Google's Q3 or Q2. Sundar Pichai mentioned AI 100 times, something like that. Wow. So it, it really, not only from a, we're doing this way, but like we have to be shown to be doing this too. But in fairness, it could be, you know, the next frontier of technology, like is in, it could be the next internet or if you listen to, depending on who you listen to, it could be bigger than the internet. So I think it's fair enough that it's got this attention. Um, whether whether it is as wide scale as we say, like is in, I, I, I have a feeling that it's going to become, if we talk about AI, we're not talking about one specific use. We're talking about like a general technology platform. And if you yeah. kind of, draw back a bit it does sound a bit like how you mm-hmm. talk about the internet and i don't think there's going to be internet companies like there won't be ai companies like there were internet companies back in the day it's going to be so many companies will be running ai in some shape or form sure oh, yeah. weren't, you, weren't you talking about was it uh sherwin williams paint was mentioning That's ai right. throughout their earnings report <laughs> Unbelievable. But let me bring it back to a use case of one, which is you. And just as I asked you what percentage of your Christmas shopping was done online, how much of your internet search has moved from Google to one of the two big ones, ChatGPT or Bard? What percentage do you think has kind of shifted from uh, one place to the other? Oh, like zero, Mm. 1%. I I don't really use it for search. I wouldn't ask it questions. And maybe that's me being a bit of a Luddite, but I don't think it really, I don't think that's the application for it in my eyes just yet. Mm. I think it could be, I think it could be a lot more developed, but in my eyes, it's kind of going for more complex answers and like direct applications to to my work and stuff. And I think that's where, where it will really show up. But uh, mm. what, what about yourself? Where do you fall in that mark? Well, I'll usually run both and with Bard, at least it has a button which says citate this. So very often I have found Bard will just fill in the blanks with with content that just can't seem to be, it's uh, you know, identified out there. So I, I worry about the content it throws up, but I found in the last, I suppose, four months that Bard's quality has improved. And for me, ChatGPT's quality has deteriorated but that's from my perception and i tell you there's no question that they have both rapidly improved but i just wonder what's open ai exposing us to and last night i was speaking with a um a former bloomberg host who we're going to interview for stock club called betty lou and betty is unbelievable individual she used to be the chairperson of the new york stock exchange and uh she raised a spac and she was bloomberg's top anchor for about 20 years and and we were talking about my wall street and specifically about nexus the product we launched there about two months ago and i and she asked me to explain the difference between it and horizon and i said well nexus looks at 
the 60 stock exchanges outside of America. And we have for the first time utilized AI for that purpose. And as you know, Mike, we've been uh, fiddling with AI for years. We've been tweaking our AI and, uh, platform and, and, and uh, the learning systems behind it to result in what we've launched. Which, by the way, the first nine, sorry, here, here's me drifting into sales. The first nine stocks are on average up 20% since we launched, which I'm delighted with. But anyway, um, putting that aside, um, the, uh, the, the point I made to Betty was that you have to expose your business to AI. You must bring it in-house. You must explore it. You must understand how is it going to augment your, your, your life. I mean, I can't think of a single uh, profession with the exception of tacit professions like maybe plastering a wall or painting a house or being an artist or a barber but any uh, information-led business from surgery through to uh, being a lawyer being to a stock analyst ai is going to move into that space and aid you or disrupt you and it's just that is just inevitable and anyone who's explored ai i think has felt that has seen it and and it really is on everybody just to to go with it but i don't yeah. know i actually i was talking to somebody who um has signed up for a course in ai in a proper university course and a mature student who wants to learn about ai and for me i don't think that that's something necessary because a bit like the internet quote unquote it just surrounds you it just moves yeah. you forward and i think that's what's going to happen with ai mm, i think that's the comparison that fits most in my eyes. It's so it's so nascent so far, but yeah, it will be the equivalent of us. Sure, everyone is on the internet. They use the internet in mm. some way, and and some companies on a smaller scale will get a big advantage from using it well and using it early. Yeah, um, yeah. but you know, in a wider sense, I don't think major industries will be disrupted because I think the incumbents are going to be the ones leading the AI cause, not necessarily the whole way around, but it, it, it strikes me that it's going to become commoditized. And when, when a technology becomes commoditized, it's usually the most well-resourced companies that can go out and get the best staff and spend the right money usually will end up not on top completely, but end up doing quite well. And we see this with like, of course, we have like Google, Microsoft and Amazon because for just the reason alone that they have the processing power, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, mm. that's going to benefit them because they're basically powering. Mm. They're powering yeah. the internet with those three things. And then yeah. something like uh, Adobe is a good example. For when we saw initially what Dolly could do, which was the AI generated images, the first one to come out, I know there's a few now, that kind of spooked everyone. And everyone was like, oh, is this the end of Adobe? Do we not need Photoshop? And then we saw Adobe's version of generative AI and was it generative fill? Is that how it's called? Oh, or auto -fill? Not for me. I haven't heard of this, Tommy. Uh, but it's basically like you can just tell Adobe to do whatever you want to an image. And, and because Adobe has that reach and that scale and everyone already uses Photoshop, it's like, oh, well, this is a good example of how I see um, AI rolling out amongst the technologies we already have and it mm. just becomes a reach thing then. And that's why I don't, I know you can kind of mention, you've said it a few times that maybe Google might be in danger with Bing and all the rest. I, I mm. don't think it's, it's going to be as much of a battlefield as people think. Um, Which platform do you knowingly 
used the most for for AI output? Yeah, output. Oh, uh, ChatGPT. Chat, and yeah. do you use Bard at all? No, I actually haven't used Bard yet. There's a nice add-on on Chrome called Burly, and its its uh, icon is a little bear. And when you hit the bear, it summarizes a web page for you, either in bullet points or a paragraph yeah. or two, which I think is quite handy. And there's all these kind of extensions that I that I have used, but at the end, I don't trust any of it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fine and it's lovely. And if you need words to say, wasn't there a landmark case in America uh, legally? Now I'm going to go down a cul-de-sac here, but basically there was some landmark case where the legal team put forward all these arguments uh, yeah. in defense of somebody and they were all completely made up. ChatGPT was, <laughs> was making up cases, yeah. I think that's one yeah. of the big uh, follies. Was it MIT Technology Review just re- reported the kind of four big things that happening in AI and they're talking about the large language models and it's like one of the follies of large language models is they usually just make stuff up to sound good. <laughs> yeah, which, oh, totally. Which Ipsum people probably Lorem don't whatever it's called, The modern nipple norm. Yeah. yeah. Totally, you have to be um, so careful. Yeah. I was at well, a wedding in the summer. Sorry, Mike. I was at a, a wedding during the summer uh, in uh, Granada in Spain, and the hosts, who are good friends of mine, are Spanish, and, and they wrote the most beautiful card for every single guest, handwritten, and was so eloquent. And I looked at it and went, mm, uh, I think ChatGPT. <laughs> it, it's, it's got a few adjectives that it kind of loves, <laughs> like over the top adjectives that you just can spot after a while. And you're like, mm, no, yeah. like it, it just, it, it supercharges the language a little too much. Hey, but look, they did far better in English than I would in Spanish. So that's what you <laughs> to my, my dear friend, Iago. But anyway, uh, so um, AI, oh. where are we headed, Mike? Yeah, that's a good question. And before we get into that, I just want to show, I suppose, the effect it's had on the market, basically. So I wrote up a list of, let's say, most AI exposed stocks. Because Nasdaq's up more than 50% this year to date, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. And I know AI isn't completely behind that, I'd say what's just as much behind that is the Nasdaq fell 30 something percent last year and there's that whipsaw action but yeah. here is a list of we'll say AI uh, adjacent stocks and their performance here today okay. so this is interesting this is accurate up to Tuesday evening um mm-hmm. so Palantir uh this is actually a stock okay. I recommended at Horizon Live in 2022 it's of 180% year to date <sighs> Still don't know what they do, but they were at the time the number yeah. one seller. Security. Of AI, they do security for, that, for the government. Yeah, for the government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft is up 55%. Google's up 54%. Now, their numbers aren't that impressive unless you take into account that it's about $2.5 trillion worth of market cap created. Uh, mm-hmm. Tesla is up 138%. C3 AI, the company with the coveted AI ticker, is up 190%. Samsara, another, another coveted ticker, IoT. That's up 186%. UiPath, 110%. NVIDIA, of course, up 243%. That's a $1.1 trillion company. That's more than tripled in the space of 11 months. Uh, mm-hmm. AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, is up 118%. Symbotic, this is a robotics company, up 364% so far this year. CrowdStrike, up 150%. And Upstart is up 259%. So... <laughs> Taking all that into account and looking at where the NASDAQ is and looking at where some companies are, 
And also taking into account how bad 2022 was for tech companies as well. Do you get sniffs for someone who's invested through the dot-com bubble? Uh, do you get a certain comparison here or do you think it's it's anywhere close? I think it's less of a phony than SPACs. Although when I was in, when, when we were in the SPAC blizzard, I was aware there was something funny going on, but I wasn't so aware that I completely avoided it, unfortunately. Um, I think you're right. There's, there is definitely a, a, a buzzword tailwind going on with some of those businesses you mentioned, but some are, there's something very, very real going on. Certainly when you talk about Williams Soma, is it Soma? I always get tongue tied with Williams. Is Williams is Soma the, the paint, paint company? Yeah, Williams. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was Sherwin Williams, but I don't know. Sherwin Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherwin Williams. Yeah, sorry. Sherwin Williams. Uh, like, you got to go, well, I don't know. Come on, give me a break. But certainly for the companies you mentioned there, uh, the way they they go about managing massive data sets has completely changed. I mean, even with our tiny sample, where we took hedge fund data from, as I mentioned, but next to 60 stock exchanges and sent it in to a, a cloud server array, which was non-NVIDIA and it spent days crunching away at data. We sent it into a NVIDIA chipset and while the finger was coming off the mouse, the results were back. Like, so really the, it's real. Like, so NVIDIA, which powers AI, when you look at that processing power and the ability to take the collective intelligence of every profession and every learning and everything in the world and squash it through everything we've learned into a, a, a effectively a decision tree because that's all we're getting on the outside on the back on, on the front end of ai it's very real and whether we're talking about upstart or microsoft or or, or any of the software powered businesses i think it's real it's just how do we value it like is it just the next wave of change like when you think about innovation uh, one of the great examples of innovation when you study it in college is, um, or, or strategy, I should say, is um, the television is used as an example of how there's waves of innovation. So the the, the, the sales cycle for big black and white cathode ray tubes went up and then it plateaued and the next wave of innovation came out, which was colored cathode ray tubes. And then it kind of had a little growth curve on top of the last one. And then on top of that, then there was the first, uh, I suppose, uh, set of flat screen TVs, which were pretty awful, but then that was the next wave. And continuous waves of, of innovation arrive on the, plat the last platform right through to now where TVs are as big as you want, as flat as you want as long life as you wish, et cetera. When you think about internet technologies, the same has happened. And there was, I mean, the buzzword a couple of years ago was web 2.0, that's gone. Then came all, I suppose, the, the disruptive currencies and platforms uh, came on top of that web 3.0. So whether it was NFTs and uh, and and uh, Ethereum and all the, the, the currencies built on that. And now we're looking at the next wave and these are all just iterative waves on a platform, which is all machines can speak to each other. Processors get better. We share knowledge and, and the output is something better than a single person or a group of people could actually achieve themselves. I read a, a book uh, last summer, I know, maybe two or three summers ago. Time just goes so quickly. It was Tom Brown, the author of uh, Da Vinci Code. Uh, it was it was pretty good. Um, it was grand. It was a... It was a, it was a uh, 
it was a holiday read. So I wasn't really looking for much stimulation. The, the crux of the book, it, it has the same kind of theme and, and pace as the Da Vinci Code. You know, there's, yeah. oh, it's, I think it's Robert Lang, Langdon or whatever is, is the protagonist. And, um, and it starts off in the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao. And it has all this intrigue, but it's, it's concerned. The book is concerned with this rising force against the Catholic Church. And uh, the book is quite prophetic because it was written, I suppose, before AI kind of took hold of all our consciousness. Um, and it, it's central to the theme of the book. And I thought it was quite a good, on retrospect, I thought it was quite a good study on, on how that technology has enveloped our lives and, our tech, and, and the things we use. And that, there's no doubt, like in, in two years, five years, 10 years, I don't think we'll talk about AI per se. We'll be aware it's all around us and we'll know that outputs are aided and accelerated by it, but it's just the way things go. Just as as our opener here, I didn't have to wonder, did you buy some of your Christmas shopping online? It's really just pot percentage. But unlike AI, you can actually give it a, a rough number. 75% of what I bought was online. Uh, whereas I think in five years, we won't be entirely sure what percentage of the info we get is is basically AI aided, but the answer is going to be a lot, a lot of it. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, that was AI. So what's your top story of the year, Emmett? Yeah, well, as we all know, Mike, obesity treatment took a giant leap forward in the year, uh, thanks to a drug that until it arrived was akin to science fiction. Um, so semaglutide, so which is better known as Ozempic and Ribelsis and Wegovy and all these other brand names, has basically reshaped an approach to managing a very complex condition. Because obesity is way more complex than I think most people give it credit for. And I can't recall such, um, I suppose, excitement about the arrival of a drug since Pfizer lost Viagra because in, in, in our launch Viagra, because in both, both cases, the treatments offer hope to billions of people, hundreds of millions of people. And these are like breakthrough drugs that as soon as they're launched, people, there is a cohort of people go, I need that. And for people who are obese, weight loss means a decrease in the risk of cancer, heart disease, uh, psychological stigma. I suppose their sleep is improved. Uh, life expectancy is elongated. So it really is a miracle drug. And until semaglutide's arrival, long-term weight reduction was only possible for the minority because the body's tendency, as I, I think everybody knows, is to put weight back on once it's lost. And what's a real kind of bitch is that when people intentionally lose weight, the body slows down the metabolism. It releases these chemical transmitters that increase your appetite and decrease your sense of fullness. And basically, it causes people to regain weight. So these drugs came along this year. I mean, they, I, they didn't exist in my peripheral vision. I didn't know that this family of drugs or this single drug, I suppose, spun off in various different directions was there it was just i think it was initially developed for something else uh, well di diabetes, diabetes of course. yeah yeah exactly and then suddenly all of the patients on it were suddenly losing loads of weight so these people this drug not only helps people lose weight and not regain it um but it really has profound effect and wait till you hear this before ozempic and all the other ones that are out there if you are a person who weighs 200 pounds which 
I'd hazard you and I, Mike, have touched or have exceeded that weight. That'd be me on a diet, but go on. I'm telling you, like, we're two big guys. I'd, I would classify as neither of us as obese, although I wouldn't be surprised if we walked into a, a GP and he said, here, stand on that. And then he goes, hey, guess what? You're obese. I've been in a position where I'm looking at my doctor going, what are you talking about? My waist is 34, what, 36 inches or 34 inches, whatever. And he's like, no, sorry, you're obese. But anyway, um, for, for people who weigh 200 pounds, the chances of losing 40 pounds, which is 20% of your weight, and not gaining it back is between five and 10%. It's really, really low. So these drugs work by activating um, GLP-1 or GIP receptors in the body, which decrease appetite, increase fat burning, promote weight loss, and increase inflammation and blood clotting. It really sounds like a panacea, but wait, but wait, Mike, there's more. But wait, there's more, as they say. Data from the so-called SELECT trial, which is this academic trial that happened uh, in America, which was a study of 17,000 patients with obesity um, and known cardiovascular disease, found a strong correlation between the use of semaglutide for obesity treatment and a 20% reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events, especially with those with history of cardiovascular disease. So there was this semaglutide trial showing improvements in heart failure outcomes as well as chronic uh, kidney disease which once again highlighted that obesity treatment is not just about loss of weight but it's about the entire improvement of your life and i was talking to somebody um a friend of mine a couple of maybe about three months ago who I would describe as a little head heavier than average. And I think they'd go harder on themselves. Um, and he was saying to me that he really needed this drug. And he was very open and honest with me. I was quite su surprised because unfortunately, heavy people, overweight people, whatever the correct term is, they feel a social stigma, which is very unfortunate because that alone is kind of all the practical things of life a little more difficult, maybe airplane seats or, 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 or fine and clothes that fit well, but you're walking around with this, I suppose, inferiority complex. And that's just awful. I think that's just terrible stuff. So it is a disease. It's misunderstood. And here's an angle I was particularly interested in during the year, Mike. Um, this year also marked a shift away from using BMI as a primary metric for weight loss target. Um, and what's quite quite interesting is that BMI was never created. It was never invented for physicians and GPs to say you're overweight or you're obese or you're morbidly obese or whatever all those categories are. Um, that wasn't the purpose of BMI. It was something else altogether. So, um, so it's interesting that BMI, body mass index, has gone into decline. Uh, and there is a massive irony to all of this, Mike, and it just struck me that an increasing number of employers in America have opted to retract the coverage for obesity treatments because it's so expensive, which really contradicts the evidence that there's benefits for obesity management, which leads to improved productivity and reduced health risks and better quality of life and happy staff and no, no one calling them a sickie or whatever. You know, so I, I think there's an irony that suddenly this drug has made the working population more fit for work, but the employers are not happy or, or unwilling to, to pay for the drug because it's, it's a pretty expensive thing. Yeah. I, I think... 
I can kind of think two things. I, I, I don't think McDonald's and Coca-Cola stock should be falling because of Ozempic, which was very much the case. But I also appreciate how impactful it can be. But I think with investing especially, we can kind of get too into themes mm-hmm. where we see very much this Ozempic or the GLP-1 or semaglutide or whichever way you want to call it, mm-hmm. works. And then we're like, oh, okay, this genuinely does work. It makes people lose weight. It makes people healthier. It reduces cardiovascular events, all the rest. And then immediately, like this drug's been out for what, about a year? Kind of yeah. in the mainstream, we'll say it's probably been prescribed longer, but but in the main zeitgeist, it's been about for about a year. And the immediate reaction is to just completely extrapolate it. And be like, everyone that's ever going to be overweight is going to be on this drug. And, you know, our incidental deaths are going to go way down. And there's going to be less absenteeism in the workplace. And and, and just taking all that as fact, when the reality, it's never going to be as extreme as that. So Mm. that's why I think it's a small bit ridiculous to just immediately, we'll say, say say the effect of, you know, Eli Lilly's new drug that just got uh, approved by the FDA and is apparently even more effective than Ozempic. Uh, And seeing that and be like, oh, that's bad for McDonald's. Maybe it is in the long run, but but just to put two and two together and get five is is too... It's too too often done in the stock market. And I I think... Yeah, it's it's just an overreaction. You're right. I hear you. It's funny. Yeah, but well, the amount of people who say supersize me go down because they're on Wegovy, I do not know. But it it certainly is. It's. I think it was one of the great breakthroughs of the year. And I think when the price comes down, the availability goes up. uh, I'd say an awful lot of these older world businesses that push excuse me that push sugar and carbs will feel the effect of it but i i'm with you though i don't believe that people would drink less coke on christmas day because they're on uh, ozempic what i do think though is that i th- as far as i know you've to inject it once a week is that right that ring a bell with you oh i couldn't uh I think it's a weekly injection. So every 10 years, you've taken 520 shots or every 20 years, over a thousand injections of this chemical. And while the benefits are very, very clear to see and almost, as I said, almost miraculous, I do wonder how did the other bits and bobs inside you, like your liver and kidneys, behave when you've had a thousand shots of a, of a compound that frankly wasn't in you when, you, when your mother gave yeah. birth to you? Do you know? But that remains to be seen. Yeah, and and I assume the trade off is going to be worth it for people who were in risk of you know, totally. Short, we'll just say a shortened life because of weight yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. But it I do is, think, yeah. by the way, it's a good thing. I always think it's a good thing when those who have been marginalised for any reason whatsoever have the the stigma associated with whatever their margins were, is removed. I love that. Um, in, in my lifetime, and it's to- it sounds totally unrelated, it, the like being gay is something that when I was in school, was you just call, someone called another person as some kind of burn, do you know? And now absolutely no stigma whatsoever exists, I believe, in this country to being gay. Whereas if you think about being overweight or morbidly obese, um, 
I wasn't really aware there was a stigma because I haven't had to deal with it. But those who have carried excess weight and have tried to lose it now have, I believe that the it's not okay to, it certainly never was okay to judge somebody who's overweight, but I think it's wonderful now that not a, let alone is the conversation out there, but there's actually something that can help them get to whatever state of health they wish to achieve. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right, Before, Mike, Mike, I'm going to hit the, oh yeah, I'm gonna hit me. Cut into Who's the, the best mobile uh, network in the world, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate question. No, just a reminder, folks, from Vodafone Business, who are the sponsors of Stock Club, uh, to check out their free one-to-one digital support and advice service today. So you can discuss a range of topics from social media tips, cybersecurity, uh, building a website for your business. Uh, so just look up Vodafone VHub or click on the link in the show notes for today's Lads, episode. would you just go in and talk to them? Just talk to Vodafone. They've got you. Just go in and talk to them. <laughs> Right. Okay, my quad. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to return the tennis ball to you now. So give me another big story from the area, a shorter version, I guess, Mike, because we don't want people falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And very appropriate because, look, I'm not ever going to be confused for an economist, uh, nor I think will anyone that's been on the show. Uh, Except for Morgan Housel. He can be confused with an economist. Uh, (laughs) Look, we're not going to dwell on it, but I think we have to talk about the Fed and the interest rate, the interest rate yeah. situation, basically. I don't think there's been any more impactful stories on the general market sentiment or yeah. maybe not even sentiment because it seems to have quite pretty much ignored what's been going on for so long. Yeah. But but basically in 2023, it saw 11 rate hikes, uh, took the federal fund rate to the highest it's been in 22 years. And it's actually the fastest it's ever raised interest rates in such a manner. And yet, somehow, the stock market posted a barn burner of a year. The S&P 500 is up mm-hmm. more than 25%. The NASDAQ is up more than 50%. So you remember, and Bill Mann brought this up in the live show, 100% of economists predicted a recession in 2023. Now, maybe that's the only fair comparison we'll get to economists, Semit. Uh, is that we're regularly <laughs> wrong? But yeah. somehow, somehow, and now this could be very early speaking, the U.S. has managed to tame inflation to a point where they're able to basically promise three uh, three rate cuts next year. They've managed to keep unemployment low at around roughly 4%. The stock market's had a great year. And they haven't really broke anything. I think we had a minor banking crisis to kick off the year, but that almost seems self-contained. So we have to mention the Fed here because it's such an enduring story and we've seen mm. i think the effect that central banks can have on the stock market a lot of people have said yeah they're the only influential part of the stock market and that like all of 20 and 2020 and 2021 was just an effect of a zero interest rate environment um which also there is definitely there's definitely evidence to suggest that i think there's more to it than that but you know, would we have had crypto if interest rates were at three percent? Maybe, yeah. but not not to the extreme level. I think we did. Now there mm. are after effects. Mortgage rates are out of control, and the housing market's kind of never been more unaffordable. But a record number of homeowners own their homes outright right now, and the majority of mortgage owners have locked in a long term fixed rate that's well below the current mortgage rate. So. 
if we look at housing, we're not going to see any sort of similar downturn to the great financial crisis where it kind of goes tits up very fast because Americans are quite protected. And in terms of savings compared to uh, credit card debt as well, it's also at its lowest in about 20 years or something like that too. Mm. So, Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. So people get excited because credit card debt went over trillion, a trillion for the first time. But in relation to savings, it's actually in a very good spot. So mm. I, I, I can't, you know, speak too much on the economy because honestly, I don't have the, the expertise there. But to look at what happened in 2023 and to think of where we were at the end of 2022, it's in a pretty good spot you know what i mean yeah um, yeah it is yeah the, the interest rates is if it's interesting because um i've always just observed it just exists interest rates just happen and it sounds I, i've been so reductive it's almost at the point where i ignore it but not because i don't acknowledge the importance of interest rates um but it feels like as a as a stock investor we we pick boats each stock we buy is like a boat interest rates are the tide and the tide rises and falls. And as you go through a stock investing life over a multiple year, multiple decade uh, journey, it is cyclical. It is the lever, the most effective lever that the Fed has to control their economy. So we find and buy great businesses in the, fully in the knowledge that interest rates will go up a bit, they'll go down a bit, they'll go up a bit. And we just have to kind of, we are passengers because I totally agree with you. It's, it's a very complex science. Economics is something you can study for the rest of your life and still get it wrong when you're making a prediction. But, but, but uh, the best that I can do is acknowledge that I can't outthink I'm a passenger in the inf economics information journey. Um, I speak to Morgan ha Housel and I feel donkey's ears grown out of the side of my head because he is so smart on the subject and I can barely formulate a question but to put to on, him. On Morgan Housel then as well is a great example where he is an incredibly knowledgeable economist. And his 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 strategy is the same as ours. Where it's like, well, yeah, kind of don't worry about it that much, and just invest for the yeah. long term and forget about it because you're yeah. going to go through a number of cycles in your investing career, and that's why I think Completely. we're allowed not ignore it, but recognize that it's definitely short term rather than long term. And yeah. you were going yeah. to see a number of different cycles like this. We are for sure. Best Okay, amen. So how about I just finished then? We, you've done two uh, and I've done one. So how's about I just hit you with a second big story from the year and it's the unmissable Magnificent Seven, which you touched upon earlier on, a, a few of them anyway, and you were talking about AI. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, uh, seven stocks, we've spoken about it so often, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, uh, Alphabet, Tesla, and Meta have all jumped 75% in 2023, which basically means that the other 493 from the S&P 500 were left in the dust. And they, <clears throat> excuse me, they on average have gained a more modest 12% versus the 75% yeah. for those big behemoths. So the, the index- The S&P 493. The S&P 493. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, most investors had expected 
that there would be higher interest rates, um, inflation, recession fears. And, and as a result, there was a pessimism. And, and everyone expected tech stocks to be hammered in 2023 as they had been hammered in 2022. But as you rightfully explained, this AI mania took hold, helped the big tech um, post a furious rally. Um, and it couldn't be derailed by a bank sec- a banking sector crisis, uh, worry about government debt default, uh, wars in the Middle East and Europe, and lots of nasty stuff around the world. But these seven stocks just transcended these great big huge giant teams that sit there on our tv screens and our new news channels all year round and the net upshot is that the magnificent uh, seven now represent 30 percent of the s p 500's market value which is the, i think the highest ever share for any seven stocks that's just unbelievable like a basket of 500 companies like primo companies world-renowned companies in all of their areas, 500 of the top companies uh, in America, and seven of them control 30% uh, of the overall value of the index, which is just, it's its bizarre. Oh, by the way, mini rant, Apple is Apple, right? Apple Pay doesn't work on my new iPhone 15. <laughs> Sounds like so a new problem. I, I did so. So, uh, like, I mean, um, I'm not a buyer of Apple stock, you know. Like, I, I and by the way, our three trillion dollar overlord Apple refused to admit online that this is a known issue. But you go and talk to people who've bought it; doesn't work. Anyway, look, I'm going to swap back to my iPhone 11. I can't put up with no Apple Pay. It's just mm. too, it's too third world for me. I can't, can't cope. <sighs> Hashtag. <laughs> So where are we? Yeah, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, the Magnificent Seven should be reduced to Magnificent Six until Apple fix Apple Wallet and Apple Pay. Yeah, you strike that down, I'm sure it'll do really well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. So there you have it. That's the Magnificent Seven. I think that that was an incredible story, and it has a nice little name, Magnificent Seven. It sounds like I think yeah. it's a 1970s. Uh, uh, war movie or something anyway yeah yeah i made i made the argument that the live show now i discounted nvidia and tesla from it mm-hmm. but the mm. big tech five that we know um i think there's fab an argument five, the fab five fab five yeah i think there's an argument that they're not really stretched i think microsoft's valuation is stretched yeah. but it also owns or will own the majority of you know open ai at some point yeah yeah um yeah the companies seem like they're in quite good shape it, 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 if you could pick five companies for the market to be completely reliant on you could do a lot worse do you know that kind of way and i think mm-hmm. there will be a turn down just because that's how the market works it goes yeah. up and then it comes back down because it went up too much and and that, yeah. that's what looks like happened in 2023 and that's not as exactly scientific but yeah in terms of like the underlying businesses there, they're incredibly strong and in a great mm. shape and probably set to benefit a lot from this new next internet we've talked about all episode. So yes, there's an incredibly high amount of concentration at the top of the market, but it's happened before, maybe not to this extent, but the market has always kind of fallen into this top heavy situation. And yeah. They're really, really strong businesses there with very quite enduring business models that yeah, are at yeah. the forefront of this new technology. So, yes, true. it's very concentrated, but also 
I don't know if it's the pending disaster that people can make it out to be. Bringing back your interest rate point, when interest rates come down, smaller businesses have access to capital that's cheaper. They can borrow money from their bank to do the stuff they do faster, better, new markets, new products, etc. And what I think will happen is that a lot of the money that's assigned to the Magnificent Seven will move into the the four nine uh, three, yeah. <laughs> the S and P four nine three. So some of the love will go back down into the long tail of the bell curve. Uh, but twenty twenty four will tell. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, before we finish up, I just want to give one last shout out to Vodafone. So. Uh, if you are a business owner in need of a leg up when it comes to your digital transformation, just get yourself over to Vodafone Vhub and book your appointment today. Find the link in the show notes or just Google Vodafone Vhub. Uh, Emmett, that was a fun show. Thank you for joining me. Uh, remember, Thank if, you, Mike. Remember, if you have any questions you like answered or elevator pitches you like to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreet, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.